Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Leicester finally get their hands on the FA Cup, Alisson finally opens his Liverpool account, and is Harry Kane finally ready to leave Spurs? I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Uh, so Matt, let's start by addressing the, the elephant in the room. Harry Kane, discuss. Oh boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the large elephant in the room. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I don't know whether that's me being hopeful or naive, or a bit of both. Mm. Uh, um, he'll leave. I mean, it seems like uh, he's, he's under con- contract until what? Twenty twenty three is it? Uh, twenty four. Twenty four. So it's going to take a big transfer fee for Daniel Levy to consider selling him. Surely you would think, wouldn't you? This is what I mean, and I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a who can afford it, and b who would rather spend it on Kane than Haaland. Mm. Because if, if you're stumping up, you know, the reported, whatever Levy wants, 150 million, you know, for a top player in his prime with a three-year contract left, even 120 million. If you're not spending that on Haaland, then you're making a bit of a mistake, to be honest. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm really kind of stumped. The only ones I can think of are Manchester City, where it makes sense. Yeah, well, there's some talk that that City or United might be interested in. They might offer Gabriel Jesus or Anthony Martial in, in sort of part exchange. Would you be interested in either of those players for, mm. let's say, a hundred million plus Gabriel Jesus? Would that tickle your fancy? Oof, okay, that that's the only one potentially, um, because then you're also solving the replacement problem. Uh, mm. Yeah, two birds of one stone. Um, but Martial, no. I don't think Martial's that bad a player as this season would suggest, but I just don't think he fits the mould of what we're looking for. Because if, if if there's a new manager coming in and replacing Kane with someone similar in a similar vein of form and a kind of similar style of player, then Martial's not that. You know what mm, I mean? You kind yeah. of think about how they're going to fit into the team. So Jesus, maybe not as much, but he'd be a good player. So maybe. Maybe yeah. tickled my fancy. <laughs> I saw another rumour where it said United might offer Jesse Lingard as part of exchange. I'm like, Lingard's done well recently, but let's not get carried away now. Eh? Yeah, let's calm down. I mean, that's not even a replacement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to Spurs a bit later on because we've got loads of games to discuss this week. And we'll begin at Wembley, where Leicester won their first ever FA Cup with a 1-0 win over Chelsea on Saturday. Uh, Joel, how did you feel watching Leicester lift the cup? Was it the, the feel-good story of the season for you? I think so, yeah. Um... It was certainly, no, I wouldn't say it got emotional watching it, but it was, it was certainly nice to see. And I think having the fans back in the stadium for that, you know, played a part mm. you know, in, in that feeling. And, and the thing is, with Leicester, they, they've been desperate to win the FA Cup for a long time. They've never had one in the history, and they got to four five finals in the past. Um, and they were serious about winning it, and they've been serious about winning it for a long time. You can see how much it meant to them. And, and, and I think... The, the celebrations were great, and it, it, one is sort of was a note to sort of a normal normal life coming back, you know, with fans being in the stadium and and you know them all being quite close to each other when they were celebrating, and you know that was lovely. Um, <laughs> like I think something for me was the noise that went to them and scored when the ball goes into the back of the net. Sort of having having a year of being sort of subjected to. The, the can noise coming in from you know the fake crowd actually hearing real fans and seeing real limbs fly up again it was it, it was lovely to see and then um, you know it, it really had to the effect of football and you know it's been sorely missed but 
it was it was nice. It's nice, you know. I guess nicely won the teams outside the big, you know, the big six or the big boys win a trophy again, and um, that's that's you know, always great for the competition. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I think it's something that a lot of fans, you know, maybe every other fan base apart from Chelsea fans. Enjoy Saturday nights for, for that reason. Yeah, I think the moment of that game when I realised football was properly back was when a Chelsea player had a shot and the Leicester fans, it went, it went high and wide and the Leicester fans went, Wee! I'm like, yeah, that's that's the sound of English football right there, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> inject it, inject it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt, do you think Leicester winning this cup uh, sort of keeps the, the dream alive of, of success for clubs outside the so-called big six? Um... After all this Super League talk recently, is it was it a one in the eye for these Super League clubs? Yeah, potentially, but it, it wasn't. Um, it almost it wasn't a big underdog story as as you would suggest. I mean, this is still the team that is you know looking solid in third place this season in the Premier League. It's not like a sort of Wigan Man City who were relegated mm. three days later <laughs> um, after after beating City in the FA Cup. When was it? About nine years ago or something? Two thousand thirteen. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's not quite on that scale, but obviously it does give a lot of hope um, to, to the smaller teams. But I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think who you would who you would class as maybe an underdog or a smaller team. Because, like I said, Leicester are a very good side with players who would command big fees and, you know, heading into the Champions League. And, you know, even with the 2016 Premier League win, they're no strangers to a bit of a, a bit of an upset. Um, I just find Leicester is such a funny team to me because every every you know top six team um, in England, all the fans hate each other, right? Mm. And they all love Leicester. <laughs> it's like they're everybody's second team. A few years ago, it was Southampton, and now it's Leicester. Everybody loves them unless you're playing them. So, <laughs> so, so you know the, the the rest of the top five would have been laughing their heads off at Chelsea on Saturday. And then as soon as Leicester go and, you know, beat Liverpool United, then suddenly they hate them all of a sudden. All of a sudden I just find that they're quite polarising depending on who's playing. But I loved it, Saturday. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I felt really uh, a real warmth towards them as well. Uh, Joel, obviously we, we've oscillated wildly between calling Brendan Rodgers a fraud and a genius all season. Uh, where does this cup win leave him for you? Is he is he firmly in, in genius territory now? Yeah, I don't think we can call him a fraud ever again, to be honest, can we? <laughs> um, he's... he's doing and has done a brilliant job um, and I think you know, he's now brought a trophy back to them which is the one thing they, they were missing from his time in charge and I think the, the thing the thing with Rodgers and he showed it on, on Saturday as well he's he's great to be he's very flexible as a manager I mean they start with Johnny Evans at the back mm. and obviously Evans can't continue he has to go off at about 30 minutes and they started with three at the back when Evans was on the pitch and then as soon as Evans goes off they then go to four at the back and I, I think I mean, you think if teams you have to change their formation mid game, and sometimes that can like send into chaos and it can really affect the team, especially when it happens that early. But it seems like Rodgers is prepared for that kind of eventuality, and and his team were, were well enough to adjust to playing different systems inside a, a cup final, which is which says a lot about the coaching. Um, and I think the thing is with, with Leicester as a whole and. I think they should give motivation and inspiration to clubs outside that, you know, the top six from the big six or the Super League six, should we say? Because, and although they have, you know, owners that do, have, you know, an owner that does have a bit of money, it's not like these, these Roman Abramovich or or Sheikh Mansour, you know, they don't have endless bottomless pits of mm. money to, to pump into the club. 
the club that has recruited very well. Um, the recruitment's been spot on for a, you know, a couple of years now, and you know they have spent forty million on Telemans and thirty million on Wesley Fafana last summer. Um, but they, they spotted these players, and the, the, the players that you know the likes of Man United, Liverpool, and City haven't taken a risk on, unless they've now done so, and they could probably then go and turn those players around for seventy, eighty million, make a profit, and then you back them to go and do it again and buy the right player again. Um, and they spent money on their academy. You now have got you know Luke Thomas plays in in, in the final, and you have players. Um, uh, Hamza Chowdhury well comes on, and mm. that says a lot about their academy. And they've, they've been really well run for a, for a long time since probably the title win. They've they've taken that opportunity and and really built on it. And they've now become a, a club that's challenging for the Champions League every season because of how well they've run. And they've now you know brought in a really good coach to help them along the way. And Rogers deserves a massive credit for that. The whole club deserves credit for it. They've, they've been brilliant for years now, and it's exciting to see where they could go. Yeah, there was a lovely account of the final in The Athletic, actually, which I'd uh, recommend people check out. Uh, and it was saying that how the players, when they went into the dressing room before the game, all the kit was folded up and all that kind of stuff. And on top of the kit was a little postcard each. Um, and it all had like a little personal message from their family or friends wishing them well. And it was something Rogers had sorted out. And, you know, he gets a he gets a lot of stick from us as well for being a bit cheesy and all that kind of thing. But it works, doesn't it, these motivational things? He's a, he's a proper man manager as well as a, as, a, as a great tactician. So, yeah, fair play, Brendan. I think we're, I think we're putting you in the, the genius category for now. Um, the, the winning goal was an absolute stunner from Yuri Tielemans. Talk to me about him, Matt. He's a brilliant player, isn't he? He is fantastic. And uh, you talk about the recruitment from Leicester. He is one of them that's just spot on because I think he could easily play at a big six club. He could have played at one of the bigger teams or even some of the best in Europe when he signed. That's what was so amazing about it for me. He had that loan spell at Leicester Everyone saw that he could cut it in the in the Premier League after that six months from Monaco. And then they said, right, 40 million. And still nobody went in for him. <laughs> yeah. and, and, they, and they still let Leicester sort of go in and, you know, pay the money and bring him in. I just think he's such a quality player. He really, he really kind of has everything that a central midfielder should have. And, uh, and yeah, he seems like, from what I've seen as well, a really kind of humble guy, a real hard worker. And he's he's surrounded by so much quality, both at Leicester and international level as well. Um, you know, especially when, when he's working alongside other midfielders like De Bruyne and Hazard um, and everyone else in the Belgian team that he's really kind of in such a good position to keep progressing. I just... I think he's fantastic. There's not there's not a bad word I could say about him or his game, to be honest. Yep, agreed, yeah. And uh, and Kasper Schmeichel uh, made a superb save to preserve his, his clean sheet in the dying minutes. Uh, Joel, where do you think he ranks in terms of the Premier League's best goalkeepers? Is he a bit underrated, do you think? Quite possibly, because when you sort of throw that question out, I don't automatically think of him as up there. Um, I mean, the save is incredible. I mean, as soon as it left Mount, Mount Boot, I thought, that's in. Uh, we're going to extra time, but... He pulls it out, and it's one of his great FA Cup moments. I think it'll prove it'll cease to be. But it, but yeah, it might you might possibly be underrated. Or you know, I don't automatically consider him up there with the likes of you know Allison and Edison. But you know, he's not, he's not scoring goals or one. But um, <laughs> no, I, 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 don't see, I don't see why he, he shouldn't be because he's a Premier League winner. He's been consistent for for years now. He's you know you never see him make too many mistakes. All keepers make mistakes, and he'll he'll do one or two a season. But he's not costing Leicester games, or hardly ever has cost Leicester games. And you know I think maybe he gets a bit of a sort of you know raw sick because he's not 
a brilliance with his feet. But you know that he's also maybe a bit of a throwback to to the goalkeepers of, of yesterday who <laughs> yeah. don't, don't ask to be good for their feet and they're good at shots up and and being command in the area. And he, he's, you know he's great for that. And you know he's now a Premier League winner and FA Cup winner and fair play to him. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday, didn't we, Joel? But him lifting the cup with his uh, his goalkeeper gloves <laughs> still on. It's like, what are you doing, mate? Take him uh, off. <laughs> bit too far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamie Vardy made history by becoming the first player to play in every round of the FA Cup uh, with his appearance in the final. I read before the game that they're still making the Jamie Vardy movie. Are you excited for that, Matt? Will you be straight down the Odeon when that comes out? <laughs> who's going to play him? <laughs> great question. Yeah, great question. I don't actually know who's going to play him. I mean... If we look at the previous ones, like that Antoine Griezmann one or Sergio Ramos, then maybe these football um, movies don't do so well. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Depends who's depends who's uh, depends who's playing him. But, I mean, they, surely it will be more interesting. Yeah, they made one about Carlos Tevez, didn't they? For I think it was for Netflix or something. It might have been a series actually. I didn't actually watch yeah. it, but I heard about it. And it was like <laughs> him growing up on in the in the streets of uh, Buenos Aires uh, as a young boy. And then when he made his Boca, Ju- Boca Juniors debut, it was the same kid that had played him as a kid that was like play, like pretending to be an adult, and it just didn't make any sense. I saw some pictures <laughs> from it. So hopefully they, they they don't do something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully they get it right. I saw, I saw the Anelka one recently actually as well that was bizarre that was more of like a well that's a documentary isn't it? this is an actual yeah. actual hollywood kind of film i guess yeah oh, so okay. yeah well, any thoughts on who might play him joel for you um simbad from brookside I mean, <laughs> that's one that's one for the kids isn't it? yeah <laughs> i'm not quite sure jeremy Renner. i can't really think of any actors on top of me i think yeah. could play jamie vardy james mcavoy is a man for some reason i don't know why he's obviously way better looking than, than uh, jamie vardy but uh <laughs> someone tells me he, he he might do a decent job so that's the offensive thing you're almost saying you've got to find an actor who's actually not that good looking <laughs> to, to play jamie vardy yeah indeed uh, well let's talk about that Chelsea equaliser disallowed by VAR then was it was it a signal uh, for Chelsea that Joel or, or just a correct decision that you kind of have to take on the chin at this point I mean trying to trying to tell Chelsea fans to take it on the chin is a signal really isn't yeah. it I mean I, I, at first glance I actually did think there was no need for the line because I did think it was offside in real time and obviously when you, when you look back on the replay it's it's one of them again, which is just ever so tight and then, and you know, so, so close. And it still doesn't look too definite to me. Um, I mean, it plays well for the narrative because of who it is who, who scores the goal and, and gets involved as well. <laughs> and the celebrations are crazy. I mean, it, it reminds me of these, well, perfect crowds I mentioned this. Um, it reminds me of the City Spurs Champions League game where, you know, obviously. Sterling scores that goal in the last minute and the celebration's involved and then it comes back and the cheer from the Spurs fans are <laughs> similar again and it's yeah. it, great dramatic moments for a neutral but then it's 1M which if, if R wasn't a thing you know these things wouldn't have happened you know, and the goal would have stood and whether the right decision's been reached in this moment I'm still not quite sure and it's now happened in the last minute well, last couple of minutes of an FA Cup final and I mean, it's it's hard. it's a bitter one to take with Chelsea fans, and I'm not quite sure what the answer was. If, mm. if the right answer's been reached, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of talking about VAR now. There's yeah. nothing more to say about it that hasn't already been said all season, nope. really, is there? It's just like I, I tweeted this on Saturday. I think now we just have to look at it in, in a case of like you, you've just got to make sure you're not in a position whereby you, you, you're relying on these inch, inches, these these 
pixels, these like, you know, marginal decisions. You know, no no team ever really lost the game because of a refereeing decision or a linesman decision, with, did they? I mean, I'm sure there are some examples where that did happen. But in this case, it was because Chelsea didn't score any other goals that they, they got knocked out, really. So, yeah, I think you just have to take it on the chin at this point and, and hope that uh, the, the, the sort of offside uh, laws are going to be adjusted at some point properly. But for now, it is what it is, isn't it? Um, speaking of Chelsea, Matt, that's two defeats, uh, one nil defeats in a row for them now. Is that is that cause for concern for them, do you think, especially with the end of the season and the Champions League final coming up? Um, no, I don't think so. Maybe with the end of the season, um, you know, maybe they've taken their foot off the gas a little bit. It's always been a very good time for them. But I think you can expect them to be fully raring to go for the Champions League final. I don't think there's going to be a sort of end of season hangover for them. I still, weirdly enough, back them to pull off some sort of, you know, result from the skin of their teeth in the Champions League final. Oh, don't say I that. City, <laughs> I know. I think City should be favourites. And I think they're so much better as a team. It would just be such a Chelsea thing to continuously defy the odds of every round um, and and win it. But I don't really think there's anything too worrying, probably because at the end of the season. If this was sort of mid-season or early season, you're worrying about their form, then maybe. But you know what? What is it? A couple of games left, and then they get a transfer window to sort it out. So I don't think it's too worrying for them. Yeah. Obviously, we're recording this on Tuesday, so uh, by the time people listen to this, we might know a bit more about uh, whether Chelsea or Leicester are, are going to be in the Champions League oh, next yeah, season because they play each other tonight. So that should be a very interesting game. Uh, moving on to the Premier League, and, and we have to begin at the Hawthorns, where, where Liverpool won 2-1 on Sunday, courtesy of a 95th winner from goalkeeper Alison Becker. Joel, before we start on this, quick question. How come Liverpool fans, you, you have all these like shorter names for your players like Mo, Robbo, Hendo, Millie, but when it comes to your goalkeeper, you always call him Alison Becker. What's that about? <laughs> I mean, he gets called Ali on the pitch, but I mean, by Liverpool fans, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's, you know, <laughs> a petition needs to be made. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <in this> yeah. <laughs> right, go on then. For both of you, without cheating, can you name the five goalkeepers to have scored a Premier League goal before Alisson? Peter Schmeichel. Yep. Schmeichel, Paul Robinson. Yep. Robinson. Um, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, uh, Brad Friedel. Yep. Oh, Two more. Charlton, Brad Friedel did. Um, Didn't you still lose that game, Spurs? No, no, no. That was uh, Blackburn. Against oh, Charlton. sorry. It was Blackburn, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah they, sc- um, they did lose. They did lose, didn't they? He scored in like the 94th minute because yeah. he was the 95th yeah, minute, wasn't he? Yeah. still lost. Um, <laughs> As- Asmir Begovic. Yep. Nice. And Tim Howard. Correct. Well done. Uh, but what was unique Sorry, about Alison? <laughs> <laughs> what was unique about Alison's goal, though, compared to those First ones? Match-winning. Uh, Indeed, you never see that, do you? You never see a goalkeeper yeah. go up for a match-winning goal, really. First header. Never seen him score a header. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, another cra- another crazy stat: Liverpool have scored 38 Premier League winning goals in stoppage time, which is 30 more than Manchester United and Arsenal. So, Yogi time. Are we calling it that, Joel? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to call it that. <laughs> you can. <laughs> uh, go on then, talk me through your reaction to that goal on Sunday. I mean, a bit of peek behind the curtain. Um, I was on the game and I was reporting on it for the, for the app. And I mean, it, it was a mix of emotions and the fact that I'd already you know, written out the fact that it was going to be a draw and Liverpool's Chapman's League opens were, were dashed and about to click send on said reports. Mm. And then suddenly that happens. And it, it was a mix of 
know, literally falling off my chair, running around the room and having to get themselves as quickly as possible. And that was dramatic in itself. When it actually sunk in, the fact that, you know, what had happened, I mean, it still hasn't really sunk in. I still can't compute what, you know, <laughs> what I, I keep rewatching the goal. I mean, we watched it literally before it came on here and I still can't quite believe, you know, what had happened. I mean, it's it's the fact that one a West Ham defender, West Brom defender, should I say, doesn't actually pick him up, and you've got like a six foot three guy walking into the box. You think someone will try and mark him? <laughs> it, it's it, it's it's funny because he's got his his you know pajama bottoms on <laughs> and, his, and his gloves on. I'm not sure he, he take his gloves off. There's no reason for him to do so, but that's still hilarious. But the the technique on the head is brilliant, um, and then it's 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 just. The fact that it's won the game as well, and it's, it's it's put Liverpool right back into the race of trying to get back into the Champions League and, and finishing in top four, and it's it's just I just still can't quite believe it's happened like that. <laughs> and obviously, quite emotional moment. You know, the keeper has gone through a difficult mm. period as as everyone has this year, but then he, you know he's lost as far and and he couldn't go back to Brazil to to grieve for that and. His post-match interview with Sky Sports is, is brilliant. It was that. great. It was great that interview. Yeah, really good. Refers to that and refers to how grateful he was to you know a lot of the clubs who have sent him messages and that kind of thing and um and that that, that was lovely. I mean and and the thing is for me that, that gets me more than anything is you see the reaction of him and the reaction of the rest of the Liverpool players. It's just nice to see that the football means as much to to those to to, to the players as it does to us because. Mm. I, I celebrate in the same way as as, as they did, and, and you see one with Trent Alexander Arnold's reaction still gets me now because of you know how it's really passionate and it's 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 just a bit of relief more than anything else. And and, and still even now, obviously we've had a filtered down version of football this season. Even, even then, even with, with that, you still football still means the world to these players as much as it does to to, to us three. Um, and I think that's what you know, the celebration said to me anyway. Yeah, the be- the bench's reaction was great as well. I mean, the, the the salty, cynical Man City fan inside me is like, come on, lads, you only beat West Brom. It's not that big a deal. But the football fan in me is like, yeah, fair play, go on. And, and yeah, that interview, that post-match interview was really good. I really really uh, got a bit emotional watching that, actually. I'm sure you did too, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah um, overall, what has been the secret to Liverpool's turnaround in recent weeks? And do you feel like the momentum is with them to get top four now. I mean, it's it's sort of in their hands now, isn't it? Uh, you know, they they could realistically win both of their games, and whatever happens, they could they could win. They could uh, qualify in goal difference now. It's it's such a weird one still because in terms of the turnaround, you know, Liverpool now you know the team with the, the biggest unbeaten, longest unbeaten run in the Premier League with eight games, um, and I still don't think they played well for weeks, um, and they've still got injuries happening. I mean, Ozan Kabak and Diego Jota both ruled out for the rest of the season now. Uh, before Sunday as well, uh, and literally sort of operating with 13 first team players, you can <laughs> really play at the moment. And and one of them's an eighteen, well, twenty year old centre half who played non league football till this season, and it's that's still why. And I, for that, I still don't think they can get it over the line. Um, I'm finishing the top four, and I, I'm still not quite so hopeful. Um, they've only got Burnley away and Crystal Palace at home left in the last two fixtures. Um, Only Burnley and Crystal Palace. You say say that on paper. (laughs) We've seen how much Liverpool struggles getting past West Brom on Sunday. We've relied on the goalkeeper to score a goal to win the game. Um, And and Burnley will approach the game exactly the same way. And Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes or Vidro, who might start up front, they will will sit on Reese Williams and target them all day long. And Burnley will have fans back in the stadium and they'll, they'll want to put on the show for the fans. And, um, first time they've had them back this season. So 
there's a lot of sort of you know caveats to whether you know Liverpool can can go in the last two games. I think if they do win the last two games, they will do it and they'll get top four. And um, I still relies on the results of the Chelsea Leicester game and, and the last day to go their way. But I think they do their job and the rest of it should fall into place. But I'm not quite sure. I've got the caveat now of the narrative of Hodgson's last game yeah. <laughs> on the last day and he'd love to to, to mess things up for Liverpool so yeah I'm, I'm still not quite sure they, they will do it but they, put, they give themselves a really good chance now which is all we can ask for to be honest exactly it's, yeah but a tough season indeed uh, Matt do you think they were a bit lucky that they, uh, the West Brom goal that would have made it 2-1 was disallowed in this game <sighs> yeah I think so it's impossible to know because you're never, you're never really in Alisson's direct eye line to see what he can see or what he can't see. Then you've got the argument, oh, he was never getting there. But I just think it was so, I don't know, it just seemed so out of out of the way of what Alisson was doing. I mean, if he was wrestling with that defender and pushing him off him and, you know, being physically obstructed, then I can understand it. Um, But he just didn't really see it and it went miles away from where he was stood. I think West Brom could feel very hard done by. However... Like you said before with VAR, if you don't score enough goals to win or if you let a goalkeeper score against you in the <laughs> yeah. last minute, then you don't deserve to win anyway. So. If you can't put a man on the back post at a corner, you've only got yourself to blame really, haven't you? Right, yeah. Exactly. Or if you can't pick up a six foot three guy who's wearing a different kit to everyone else, you can <laughs> yeah. see him easier, then yeah, I think you've got some problems as well. <laughs> uh, well, Sam Allardyce wasn't happy about that decision. Um, we've said before, he's provided some great quotes, if nothing else, this season. And, and he was at it again after the game in what could perhaps be described as a rant about how boring the Premier League has become. The whole quote is, is way for too long for me to, to read out but to paraphrase he was kind of saying that every manager in the Premier League kind of feels they have to play Guardiola style football playing out from the back now and he was he was saying that it's made the, the, the league less interesting less tactically diverse and that it's going to cost managers who might be perfectly good coaches their jobs in future if they can't coach a team to uh, to sort of play this style of football do you think he's got a point there Joel is, is, is he onto something there because I, I think he might have actually possibly but you know I'm not quite sure what you're saying about every manager and every team the play out from the back it is necessarily true but then the, he's, he's right about the, the, the league not being so tactically diverse I mean there, there is a place with teams like Burnley and there should always be a place with teams like Burnley I mean but the thing is, I keep mentioning Burnley is that the fact that they're probably the only team who are that completely different to the rest of the, the you know, 19 in, in the Premier League um, and there should be a, a few more teams like that because it should it'll make it interesting and Teams then have to prepare in a different way for for facing those types of opponents that are gonna, you know, pump the ball into the box. And it's it's not pretty to see for the neutrals, but then they, they shouldn't be worried about that. They shouldn't be focused on that. Burnley don't worry about that when they're playing the way that they're playing. They're preparing for their strengths, and and you know, James Sarkowski and Ben May are perfectly great on the ball, but then. But they know that their strengths are more in, in trying to get the ball up the field to you know the, the height of Woods and, and Ashley Barnes. And, and I think, I, I, I do think they need to, I mean, you're looking at teams that are going to come up from the Premier League, uh, from the Championship this year. Norwich, we've seen them before and, and the way they play and, and the same sort of Watford. And it's not exactly the most exciting thing to look at. And I think Aldice might have a point. And the fact that I, I wouldn't say the Premier League's becoming boring for that reason but it could do a bit of variety and it could do a bit of you know sort of mix and match you've seen Fulham this year a routine that tried to play out from the back and they've gone straight back down with a whimper um, and it's it's one of them 
Big Sam might have a point here, and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think one way down the road it could become boring. But yeah, I don't know, it depends what you guys think on that as well. What you it sort sounds of, like sour grapes to me. It does a bit, yeah, and I think it sort of taps <laughs> into this kind of nostalgia of like the Premier League used to be better when Big Sam was at Bolton and that kind of thing. You know, everyone everyone kind of looks yeah. back to to the classic Premier League. What now, he's basically he saying is, he, I can't have big. Kevin Davis up front and smash balls up to him. <laughs> so now the Premier League sucks. Yeah. Like, I'm sure if, if he'd taken West Brom to 15th or whatever, he would not be saying this. He'd be talking about how amazing he is. <laughs> I just, just time, times move on, mate. Get over it. Indeed. Like, yeah. Yeah. I time think went. we could do with more Ken, Kev Davis is back in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. I, like see, I like to see guys with big shoulders who can't really run because, if, 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 you know, I feel they're represented in the Premier League. You know what I mean? I think we could do with that back in. Yeah. The, the elbow has not become a crucial part of the anatomy for a long yeah. time in Premier League, has it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the weekend began on Friday night with champions Manchester City coming out on top in a seven goal thriller at Newcastle. That's 23 away wins in a row for City, which is a new English record. 35 uh, year old Scott Carson was handed a surprise City debut here. 10 years after his first Premier League appearance, uh, which was also away at Newcastle, coincidentally. Uh, was that was that the feel-good story of the season, Matt? Big Scott Carson getting a call-up, and, and do you think he's got a chance of playing in the Champions League final? Uh, it was bizarre, to say the <laughs> least. Um, what, what, what's going on with Edison and Stefan? Nothing. He just fancied giving Scott, Scott Carson a game because oh, it meant okay. nothing, basically, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I he's see. Champions um, League winner, so... Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, I can't see him starting the uh, the Champions League final. But yeah, it's quite a uh, for, for someone like Guardiola, who's not often that sentimental. Um, it's yeah, well, I guess it was quite a, quite a nice story, if not anything a little bit disrespectful to Newcastle, when he conceded <laughs> three goals. So if anything, two two penalties right. though, and he saved one of them and, yeah, and got a bit yeah, of lucky true. with it. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the first goal was a bit like, wow, uh, mm. b- being a goalkeeper in the Premier League sort of requires you to be able to move, Scott. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it's I, I thought it was, it was nice to see him get a, get a game because he's one of those, yeah. uh, we've had a few of those in the past few years at City, like uh, Richard Wright and Stuart Taylor, the third choice goalkeeper who never plays, who's just there for sort of good vibes, really, in the dressing room. <laughs> and that's basically what Scott Carson is. And you speak to any, you listen to any of the players or the manager and they're always saying, oh, what a great guy he is. So I thought it was nice to throw him in. the vibes. Throw in for a game yeah yeah but yeah let's hope he never plays for us again <laughs> uh, let's hope Ferran Torres does play for City again though because he's called a hat-trick uh, the first goal was an absolute stunner w- was that a-, a goal of the season contender for you Joel? Yeah I mean if, if it's in the reckoning for the, you know, at the end of the season you can't really complain um, it's great technique and, and I think the thing is with Torres um, I mean it's good to see an F Torres doing well and scoring goals if you're getting that bit of sentimentality. But he, he he knows where the goal is. I mean, mm. he's over two goals, a testament to that as well. He knows fully well where the onion bag is placed and knows how to find it. And it's interesting that he's he's becoming this type of player because at Valencia he was very chalk on the boots type of winger. Mm. Um and it looks in a way that, you know, I mean, he might end up still doing that kind of thing for the City, but it's almost like Guardiola has spotted something else in him and, and he's maybe developed into a different player. And I wonder now whether, you know, I still think City will buy a striker this season, but obviously to replace Aguero, but 
do you think there maybe is a shout for Torres to end up taking that role up front for longer term or is that being a bit too dramatic? Well, I was going to ask you about that, Matt. I mean, I'm sort of wondering now whether for City, you know, Haaland doesn't look like he's going to be available this summer. Dortmund are very mm. adamant that that's not going to happen. Kane is going to cost an awful lot of money and he's he's, he's not, uh, you know, spring chicken anymore, really. He's got injury issues. I'm wondering whether Danny Ings on a free transfer might be the the, the answer and have, uh, have Gabriel Jesus and, and, and Torres as the sort of other two strikers and just sort of alternate between them and if things gets injured then there's two other lads willing to step in do you think that makes makes more sense than dropping 150 million on Harry Kane um yeah I mean it makes a lot more sense financially obviously I mm-hmm. don't think that Torres it really is a, a center forward um I just think again it's a very sort of Guardiola thing to just add more to his game just to make him a, mm-hmm. a better footballer um he'll be playing know, center I, back in a few years or something Watch, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> But obviously, I mean, you've seen what he's done to Goodwin as well and added that to his game. Um, he's definitely made Raheem Sterling far more of a goal-scoring threat, but, you know, he's still a winger. Same thing could be said for Bernardo Silva and Mares. I guess it's just Guardiola knows that having a winger who could find the back of the net is very helpful for his team and his philosophy overall. So adding it into Ferran Torres' game is going to be beneficial for the whole squad. I don't, I don't see it as a... Oh, to replace Aguero is difficult for any striker. <laughs> I know, Never yeah. mind a winger turn striker. Um, <laughs> if he does, that is the ultimate disrespect to his belief in Gabriel Jesus. I'd be sitting there thinking, God, surely this is my time. Aguero's leaving. And then it's like, oh, no, actually, we, we're, we're deciding to play a winger through the middle instead. <laughs> and if it's not him, it's attacking midfielder Phil Foden. Yeah. And if it's not him, it's central midfielder Ilkay Gundogan. So you're currently fourth, in a, fourth on the list in a team full of one striker. <laughs> well, sure so, so is it right for being rubbish, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not rubbish, but he's, he's never convinced me. and I don't yeah. think he ever will. And he sort of plays more on the, on the flanks now, which is a bit like, that wasn't what we signed you for, mate. But mm. yeah, let's, let's see what happens with him in the next few years, I guess. Uh, great stat from Duncan Alexander about Ferran Torres. He said, incredible finish for a man who was celebrated only five birthdays because he was born uh, February 29th, the year 2000. So he was born in a leap year. The youngest goal scorer player ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Uh, as for Newcastle, they played their part in a, in a fun Friday night game. Are they, are they the great entertainers again, Joel? Is, is Kevin Keegan swashbuckling football back at St. James's Park? I wouldn't think so, no. I mean, I don't think I'd see Philip Albert's chip. Uh, Michael, to What's his name? Tamuri Catspire. He'll be back soon, won't he? Yeah. <laughs> Kicking the horde into oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think they're very much, you know, released from the shackles of um, the fight relegation all season. And now you know they're showing that they can do it, and it, it, you know what, Newcastle fans have a right to be angry about this as well because <laughs> it's almost like to Bruce, why can't you do that? You know, do this for the rest of the season and maybe you can get results that way rather than being as defensive as they have been. But no, I think it comes back to this, the first game of next season, and Bruce is still in charge. We're looking at five at the back and bodies to the wall, and let's go playing kind of football again. Mm. I'll tell you what, Joe Linton hasn't done well at all in his time at Newcastle, but his penalty in this game was superb, I thought. One of the best penalties I've seen for a long time. Got it right in the corner, out of the keeper's reach. Fair play to him for that. Uh, it looks like West Ham's Champions League dream is officially over after they could only draw 1-1 with Brighton on Saturday night. Uh, we spoke last week about Saeed Benrahma's goal drought. He did score in this game, but on reflection, Matt, do you think uh, West Ham's decision not to sign a, a replacement for Sebastian Allaire in January has proved a bit costly? And, and should they go for Tammy Abraham, who's uh, sort of been frozen out a bit at Chelsea under, under Thomas Tuchel? Yeah, I was actually um, talking about this the other day, that... It really kind of blew my mind. I was looking at West Ham. Firstly, replacing Allaire 
needed to be done even when he was at West Ham because he was not scoring enough goals. But their top goal scorers this season have been Suchek, who's a midfielder, with nine. Lingard's got nine, and he's not. He doesn't even belong to them. Um, <laughs> only joined in January, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah only joined in January. And who was the other one on nine? Uh, Mikel Antonio, who yeah. again is a little bit versatile, um, not really prolific as a forward. So to get this far, you know, is, is pretty impressive for them. I really think they need a striker. I think Abraham has been frozen out at Chelsea and doesn't like to be given a chance. Um, you know, it's a good. It's not too much of a step down, you know, to a team that could be in the Europa League or in the Conference League. I think it makes complete sense for Abraham, maybe for a season loan, um, not not necessarily paying the you know the full whack that Chelsea would want. But yeah, it makes complete sense because if West Ham had a more clinical striker, maybe these games where they just lost or you know they had a bit of a blank in front of the goal instead of relying on midfielders, they they could still be in it. But yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately not. Do you understand why he's not getting in the team at Chelsea, Abraham? Do you think it, or do you think it's a, a bit harsh on him? Um, the thing is, under Lampard, it was kind of like you know, your Lampard was charged with bringing through the youth and you know, bringing through the next generation of Chelsea, and Tammy Abraham really represented that. Thomas Tuchel has absolutely no loyalty to Chelsea's youth whatsoever because <laughs> he doesn't need to. You know, he's he's not the guy. He didn't ask for Abraham. Um, he didn't, you know, it's not his problem that Abraham was promoted, this, that and the other. If he, whichever players he wants to play, if he wants to play Havertz as a false nine or play Vernal Giroud, you know, he can sort of do what he wants. There's not really any, there's not any promises made to Abraham on, on, you know, at his door. So if he just doesn't like the bloke or just doesn't think he can do the job, then... You know, it happens a lot in football. I still think Abraham's quality, though. He's Premier League quality striker, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know if he's sure. a if he's a if he's a Champions League quality striker, but but definitely, yeah. I think West Ham or yeah. maybe back to Villa or somewhere like that, he'd, he'd do a really Absolutely. good job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, given the position they were in a few weeks ago, Joel, is it fair to say West Ham have quote unquote bottled top four, or <laughs> or should finish in, in the European spot still be considered a, a remarkable finish, regardless if they do indeed finish there? Yeah, if, if, if they do finish, I think I think the latter. I, th- I think you know if West Ham finish sixth this season. And, and getting to Europa League, David Moyes and, and deserves a lot of credit, and you know is up there for you know you guys like to say manager of the season should be given to the guy who doesn't win the Premier League, but mm. um, and David Moyes deserves being that question. I'm not sure about that, but um, I, I think considering where they were last season, and you know Moyes gets brought in to to keep them up, and um, they were fighting relegation for a lot of the season, and to, to turn that around and now become a team that's been in and around the Champions League places all season. They, they, it's been remarkable for them. And, and I, I guess what's happened now, where they've sort of, sort of dropped a few more points, they're reverting to the mean a little bit. But they've been fighting injuries for a lot of this season. And they've, got, they've got a paper-thin squad as it is. So to, to get this far is, is extraordinary and absolutely fair play to them. And um, I, I do, you know, I do wonder whether they will see it out or Tottenham will, will creep in on, on the last day and, and get into that top six. And um and, and push them out, and it's, it's also it's kind of a bit like last season, where you know you have sort of Leicester and Wolves and Sheffield United fighting for the the top six all season and top four in Leicester's case, but in the end, the the, the big boys end up just finishing there anyway, and then it's all kind of you know this is how it's all meant to be, and it'd be a shame if that happens, I guess, for a neutral uh, fan point of view, but um. 
that I, I feel that's going to end up playing out. The cream always rises to the top, as they say, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny Welbeck caught his 50th Premier League goal uh, in this game, and he, he's having his best season since 2013-14. It was a lovely finish as well. Uh, he's out of contract at Brighton in the summer. What's next for him, do you think, Mark? Do you think staying at Brighton is the way to go, or do you think maybe he could uh, he could do a bit better? Uh, no, I think he'll stay at Brighton. I think the reason he's only been giving... Uh, getting contracts sort of year on year at Watford at Brighton is because of injury worries. Yeah. Um. Wherever he goes, I'm not sure anyone's going to tie him down long term in case you know one of his famous knees or ankles goes and suddenly he spends a three year contract injured. Um. So I think he's only getting one year deals anywhere. Is anyone else above Brighton going to take him? Probably not. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. And I think if Brighton want to become one of those teams above themselves, you know, sort of heading into mid-table or even a top 10 at a push. They'll want to hold on to him, you know, if he's doing the business. So, yeah, I can see him I can see him hanging around unless he personally wants to, you know, drop to the championship for more game time. But I don't see any reason why he should. No, if he a, can stay fit, he's, you know, he's a good player. Yeah, he's another one who would do a great job at a West Ham and Aston Villa and Newcastle, uh, maybe mm. even Everton, someone like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I think his days of playing for a, a big top team yeah. are over, aren't they? Yeah. I see him staying. But he's still, as a finisher, he's still up there with probably the best in the league, I think. You know, that. Yeah. like I said, he took his goal superbly in this one. Um, really? I just like, I just love his enthusiasm, to be honest. I think that's what I like about Danny, yeah. Just <laughs> boundless energy, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tottenham are right in the hunt for a Europa League spot still, thanks to a 2 0 win over Wolves on Sunday. Uh, Matt, what have you made of Spurs under Ryan Mason in recent weeks? Are you, are you, are you seeing uh, a bit of progress being made? I'm not seeing a bit of progress. I'm just seeing uh, less restraint mm. from from the style that Mourinho was playing. I think what Mason's doing is nothing sort of... There's not a Mason imprint, purely, partly down to time, but purely because he's just sort of keeping it simple, you know, attacking players in the right positions, a 4-2-3-1, picking your best players in the best roles. Um, you know, Spurs have got quality t- to the point where I see their quality shining through and they're beating teams they should be beating without really necessarily having to think too much. You know, I don't think with all, with all respect to, uh, to Wolves who had a particularly poor season. Um, you know, if, if, if you've got to tell the likes of Son and Kane and Hoybier and the better players in the team, Deli Ali, how to beat Wolves, then <laughs> they're probably not good professionals in the first place. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not saying Mason did nothing, but it was sort of, you guys know how to play football. You know how to score goals. So, you know, go yeah, out there just and do go the business. And, and I expect it, yeah. something similar against Aston Villa. You know, it wasn't a tactical masterclass. He's just keeping everything very simple. Yeah. Uh, how You mentioned Deli Alli there. How important do you think it's been to get him back in the team and playing playing well? Aren't you a bit of a Deli Alli sceptic? Have we had this conversation before? We have. I yeah. am a Deli Alli sceptic because I, I still feel like there's something missing from his game that is so standout and irreplaceable that Tottenham can't do without him. And what is that thing? What's missing? I I, I don't know. He just doesn't have it. He's just... (laughs) The X factor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. He just doesn't... There there isn't... um, I mean, I could ask you the question now. What is the one trait of Ali that you you most fear? Good question, Matt. Is it... Is it his passing, shooting? Do you not let him shoot from range? Do you not let his pace in behind? 
Do you not let him get on the end of the ball with his head? Do you do you what? What is the one thing you're most afraid of? I don't know. I, I mean, you would have said a few a few years ago that he was he was good at everything, really, wasn't he? Yeah. And now he's sort of like a kind of slightly below, slightly above average at everything. You would say, but that's what I mean. There's yeah. no there's no one standout thing where you say, right, do not let Delhi do this. Mm. It's just sort of a bit of everything, really, and that's what. You know, a lot of players rely on this one skill. You know, when you think, um, right, Kane's having an absolute stinker, but if you get him a chance in the box, you know, you're worried. Mm. Or, you know, if Sterling's playing absolutely terrible, you know, nine times out of ten he loses the ball, he's got the speed to hurt you one time out of ten. With Ali, I don't think he's got this one trait or this one skill to fall back on that's going to, you know, basically sort of cover up weaker parts of his game. He just... He seems to do everything, but everything okay. No, I think when he was you know, back in his heyday, when he was on form, his movements in the box and his sort of arriving late in the box to to finish mm. chances were, were, were the one thing I thought he stood out more than anything else. But I think you're obviously right, uh, to be honest, Matt. You, you look at him now and and you think he's not exactly bursting with pace and he's not exactly going to play you the through ball. And you think, what, what does he actually add to the team now? And I actually wonder whether, you know, his time at sort of a, a top club in, in sort of fighting for European places has gone. Whether he's more suited to, to a, a likes of you know a Brighton maybe because <laughs> um, and that kind of team. Because I, I, I don't think he's got any redeeming qualities anymore, as you've been alluding to. He was saying it on Match of the Day is, is sort of, what is he, 25 now? And he was saying sort of he expected to be a lot further along in his career at this point, but it doesn't always work mm. out. And it's like, it's yeah. not too late for him, is it? He's 25. Like, not, no, yeah. not, not at all. He, he's a quality player, but I also think as well he needs definitely a team to sort of play to his strengths. And he needs to play consistently and he just didn't under Jose, which mm. is always difficult. So... You know, giving him a run now is, is, is it can only be a good thing for him. Indeed. Uh, well, last time you were on, you were saying you wanted Eric Ten Hag as the next Spurs manager. Mm. It looks like that isn't going to happen, or is it going to happen? I don't know. This He signed a new deal at Ajax, didn't he? But this, apparently there's still some chat that it might happen. Um, but if not him, who would be your, your second choice at this point? God, it's a tough one out there. I'm sort of bouncing between something unrealistic like Hansi Flick. Um <laughs> And something a bit more... Do we know enough about Hansi Flick to know that he's definitely a good coach? I, I'm still a bit sceptical about him. I don't know why. Yeah, I know we won the Champions League, but it's a bit like, well, that Bayern team were just the best in Europe, weren't they, anyway? I don't think they needed a particularly brilliant coach to, to get them to that level. Mm, no, I think he is. I think he's brilliant. But if if not, I'm sort of... It may, be, it may sound a bit sort of uppity of me, um, but I would turn my nose at, you know, the thought of Graham Potter... Mm. Um, I'd be sceptical about him as well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just don't quite think he's at that level. I mean, there's been quite a few talks about, is it Gasparini at Atalanta? He's um, about 400 years old, him, though, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but I, I, from what I gather, he speaks no English, <laughs> which was which apparently is very high on Daniel Levy's list of you know important things. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really kind of struggling to see that the whole Ten Hag thing coming back around would only make sense if Ajax signed him onto a new deal just so that they could charge more when Levy comes in for him. That yeah. would that would sort of make sense. But yeah, I'm really I'm at a loss to be honest. I might start applying. <laughs> well there's just <laughs> there's such a shortage of, of good managers yeah. around it. Like there was some talk the other day that I read that um Barcelona are, are thinking of sacking Ronald Koeman and appointing uh, Jordi Cruyff. 
And it's like, what, just because he's Johan no. Cruyff's son? Like, you can't just do that. Like, have you learned nothing? But it's like, well, what, what else What else is the, you know, who else is available, really? It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would take Stephen Gerrard. What, what, Spurs? Yeah. Would you? Yeah, I definitely would. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I, mean, I don't think he would, but <laughs> I would. <laughs> ah, he would. He would, wouldn't he? He's sort of done done everything he went to Rangers to do, I'm, I'm sure, at this point. He would probably mm, jump at a chance like that he's now. probably hanging on till Klopp leaves. Yeah, would you have would you have as Liverpool's next manager after Klopp, Joel? Depends when Klopp leaves. If it happens, maybe next next season, no. But you know, maybe three four years down the line when Joe's got a bit more experience, I think so. But mm. definitely, definitely not yet. Not ready. Yep. Uh, well, only the three relegated clubs and Burnley have scored fewer goals than Wolves this season. Uh, do you think a new striker will be will be on their shopping list in the summer, even if Raúl Jiménez stays, Joel? Quite possibly. I think we need to prepare for that and maybe sadly prepare for. You know, Jimenez maybe not even coming back or, or not being able to you know, reach the levels that he did for the injury. It's, it's still very much up, up in the air whether <laughs> Jimenez can return and play properly, which is I mean, sad to wear, but mm. um, hopefully he will and, and, and he should, but it's still not 100%. But I think with, with Wolves, I, I think it's been the one, literally one big thing that's let him down this season. Um, I did see some, a stat yesterday mm. that in terms of the top 10 players in Europe with the most sort of dribbles in uh, in the box, two Wolves players are in there, in Adama Traore and Pedro Neto. Um, and you just, you know, that, they up there with players from like sort of Barcelona and City and Real Madrid. And, and you look at that and thinking, well, why have Wolves not done better? And it's literally just, there's not been a person in the box to put the ball in the back of the net for them in Jimenez's absence. And I think that's something they need to see to you know, in, in the summer. Mm. Um, and, and I think that to sort of prepare I mean, with, with Jimenez, he is sort of, you know, looking 30-31. You know, so it's going to be a time when he needs to replace him anyway. And, um, and, and yeah, it's something that needs to be at the top of their list of things in, in, in the summer, sadly. Yeah, uh, just for clarity, Giampiero Gasparini is only 63 years old, not 400 years old. So that was a bit a bit ageist of me, that. I do apologise if you're listening, Giampiero. You're probably not because you don't speak English, do you? So it wouldn't yeah. be very good. good for- <laughs> What he chooses this podcast as his way to get into yeah, English. Yeah, we could do, yeah, yeah. Some pretty impenetrable accents, probably, but yeah, good, good luck to it. Um, Everton might well have kissed goodbye to their chances of European football next season after they were beaten 1 0 by relegated Sheffield United on Sunday night. Don't laugh, Joel, please. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep it professional. Um, I, I didn't think, I, I didn't think Everton's home form could possibly get worse, but I, I think this is probably, has to be considered one of the worst results of any team in the whole season. Um, what is the problem with them, Joel? Is it the manager? Is Carlo Ancelotti, uh, sort of run out of ideas? Is the squad not good enough? I find it really puzzling what's happened to them. He sort of alluded to that in, in his post-match Ancelotti where his squad aren't quite suited to play the way he wants to play football. So he wonder whether he should have adapted to a different style of play. And, and, and I do think that that comes into it. I think Ancelotti is you know, he's obviously a world-class, fantastic you know, coach. And, but I, I do wonder, he, he's not sort of, shouldn't get away from criticism in this situation. Because the thing is with Everton, they, they've been brilliant on the road this season where... They are maybe expected, even with, with no fans, expected to play in a different way where they can sit back, be disciplined and, and try and score goals on the counter-attack using the pace of, you know, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. Um, and, and the thing is, when it comes at home and expected to have the ball a bit more, this is where they have come unstuck because they've lost to teams like Fulham, um, she- Sheffield United, obviously, uh, Newcastle this season, Burnley, and you know, the types of teams that will, will sort of 
do whatever to do and and you know sit behind the ball and, and, and get their sort of chance at a premium. And that's where Everton have really, really struggled. And you know they've got a lack of creativity in the midfields. You know the, the kind of player that will play the ball to, you know Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin in the final third. Even when they've had Rodriguez on on the pitch, um, James Rodriguez, when they've had them fit, he's not really been able to do, do that on a consistent basis. And there's this kind of a thing this summer where Anshot is going to think about where he wants, you know, where how he wants to play going forward. If they want to continue what they've done this season away from home, it has gotten good results. You know, they've won at Arsenal, they've won at Liverpool, they you know they they drawn at you know Man United, um, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if they go and do something against City on the last day. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it's that that because you know. <laughs> that really wouldn't surprise me, and I wonder whether you know if they want to sort of go with that, then they've got to find a way to sort of adapt that at home, where they've got to be a bit more sort of maybe move twenty yards further up the pitch and press teams a bit more, and 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 then revert it back and, and make it difficult to play against. But you know, right down right now, I think they just haven't got enough good players to do that, and you know, if you know, with a lot of teams looking for strikers this summer. If Dominic Carver-Lewin goes, they'll be in a worse state. Yeah. Well, what, one player who I, I thought was a, a sure thing for Everton, really. In fact, I remember Lewis Ambrose saying on this podcast not long ago that he thought Richarlison was one of the best uh, players outside the top six. He's been in really disappointing form recently. I mean, he's not he's got no goals since the 4th of March, which is... Is that Anfield? Is that his last last goal, Joel? Do you think? Sadly, yes. Yeah, sadly. yeah. No assist since 5th of December either. Um, is he a bad player, Matt, or has he, has he just taken his eye off the ball in the past few months? Um, I think he's just been out of a bit of form, but so have Everton, really. Yeah. So I think that affects attacking players more when you, your whole team hasn't got the confidence, you're not getting the ball forward as much. I'm still not sure on his position. I'm still I'm still convinced that he would be the left winger in a front three in a sort of Mane role as opposed to being a central forward Yeah, um, that he's found himself in sometimes. I'm, I'm still not quite sure that he or a few others in the Everton side are really playing in their best role. Um, and yeah, it sort of makes for a difficult time and he's kind of having to work for every every goal and assist he gets without, without it sort of being a, a routine thing. Um, but no, I don't think he's a bad player at all. Mm. He just... Is entering a terrible bit of form as Everton are. Yeah, well, it feels a bit like Everton sort of all took their eye off the ball after that win at Anfield. They sort of thought yeah. the season was done at that point. It was not getting any better. And uh, uh, yeah, th- him in particular, he seems to have uh, sort of let it slip a little bit. Um, the winning goal was scored by American-born 17-year-old Daniel Jebison on his first start for Sheffield United. He was on loan at National League Northside Chorley earlier this season. And now he's already been linked with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, based on this game, Joel, is, is he a future star in the making, do you think? I mean, I don't think I'll be sort of criticised for saying I don't know too much about him. Yeah, um, he sort of you know he played a couple of games before this, um, a few minutes off the bench, and then you know he starts the game at Goodison Park and just literally going off off that game. I mean, he's down as a sort of midfielder, but he plays sort of he does well, definitely operates as number nine on on on, Sat- on, on Sunday, should I say? Um, and the, I mean, the late run into the box and, and the finish is. It's brilliant. I mean, he really takes the goal really well. But I mean, for him to be linked with those types of teams, I, I did see links with Man United yesterday as well. Mm. And I just thinking this this thing's just one big black, isn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, surely these teams aren't looking at Jeb. Je- I mean, he surely will come on to be a great player, but surely they're not looking at him just based off one ninety minutes at Goodison Park, are they? I think it's just literally. 
a sort of transfer rumour chain which comes out whenever one young player has a good game. Just linking all the best clubs they can do. And see I, I actually read about it the other day. It was from his youth performances. Oh, was um, it? Yeah, it was. It, I think you actually... Um, I think he's Canadian, actually, not American. Oh, is he? I do apologise. Um, yeah. Same thing, really, from... isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to offend a lot of people mail. today, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is Canadian, but I, I read somewhere that he, because um, I was listening to his interview and reading some of the youth reports on him, that he is a very, uh, he, he's shown fantastic sort of athletic and physical ability in the younger group age groups, which is what really stood out to these clubs. Um, and Sheffield United are sort of trying to build on his his more technical and his gameplay side, which is, you know, I think you saw in the post-match interview, they were saying, oh, is this, you know, is that your thing, arriving into the box and tapping in like a number nine? And he was saying how the, the Sheffield United youth staff had developed him really well. So by all accounts, he, um, especially given, you know, especially the Bayern Munich links to Canadian football, um, his his sort of, his athletic ability has made him stand out at a, a youth groups than, uh, than mm. someone else would. And I guess... You know, if you can add the finishing parts to him and turn him into a Premier League player, then there's no reason why not. But I wouldn't put him down for a big move just <laughs> Do you mean to tell me that Bayern Munich don't send scouts to Chorley games? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have no idea. Wait, Chorley's near Manchester though, right, isn't it? Uh, sort of, yeah. Lancashire, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you never know. Yeah, it, it's a very it's a very nice place. They have some very uh, Chorley cakes they, they make there, which are very nice sort of... Uh, <laughs> Look, to be honest, they went to Tranmere to bring Dale Jennings. That's in, true. So maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. they are, they are going to a, a, a wide scouting network. <laughs> uh, perhaps the uh, performance of the weekend belonged to Leeds, who were excellent in a 4 0 win away at Burnley on Saturday. Their first goal was a lovely strike from Mateus Click, which means Leeds have scored 13 goals from outside the box this season, the most in the Premier League. Um, did that surprise, uh, that surprise you as much as it surprised me, Matt? Because I don't know, they don't seem like an outside the box team to me, Leeds. They seem more of an inside the box team. I don't know who is an outside-the-box team. I, I can't think of a team that's just <laughs> constantly banging them from 30 yards without trying to work it into the box. Portsmouth with Matt Taylor, that, that's the sort yeah. of that's one that springs to mind. Yeah. <laughs> or Hitzelsberger or at Villa. Yeah. Just long shots only. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it is a little bit surprising, especially for any promoted team to be top of a, a goal-scoring chart like that. Um but I guess it, it adds quite a good amount of versatility because when you when you combine that with the fact that Patrick Bamford scored a lot of goals this season and a lot sort of in and around the area, it shows that Leeds aren't very one-dimensional and they do have, you know, multiple sides to their game. Um, and, you know, it spits in the face of Sam Allardyce because Leeds can adapt to the Premier League. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo came off the bench and scored two very well-taken goals to add to the one he scored last week. Uh, he hasn't exactly ripped up trees in his first season, Joel, but do you think uh, perhaps next season we can expect a bit more from him? Quite possibly, but the thing is, he's not been ripping up trees in the, you know, the goal-scoring ranks for, for a few years, even at Valencia, to be honest with you. Um, he, he's had, you know, had a couple of good season when he, when he moved there, but, you know... His last couple of years at Valencia, you know, he wasn't scoring loads of goals, but he comes in for big money in the summer, and you wonder whether he can take the Premier League, sort of like he did when he played for Bolton, um, when he was on loan from Benfica, under the, you know, the illustrious Aaron Coyle era. Um, and he, he did look like he, he could be a good Premier League player back then, and and I think he's now just taking a bit of time to sort of settle back into that this season. Um, he's played midfield a couple of times as well, so he's not exactly playing up front every game, especially when you know, Bamford's been the form that he has been. 
but I, I do wonder. I think I think Leeds fans can be sort of you know look, look to next season with a bit of positivity and hope for him because he, he's looking these last couple of games. I mean, he looks a lot more like he has settled back in, and he you know he he looks a lot more comfortable and a lot more sure of himself. And the, the finish where he sort of takes it around the keeper is is brilliant, mm. um, and and shows the composure he has in his locker. Uh, and so yeah, I think looking next year and and. If they've got him and Bamford, who can both score the goals that they've been scoring this season, Leeds can look at next year and look top half is you know the least of their ambitions. To be honest, they should be fighting for a European place. You've got Indeed. two strikers like that. Indeed, yeah. Uh, well, that's now nine home league games without victory for Burnley, which is an unwanted club record. Uh, do we read anything into stats like that in a season that's mostly been played behind closed doors, Matt? It's just the most Burnley stat ever. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I just don't understand. It's kind of like just sums them up, really, to have that poor of a record. But then, didn't they win 4 0 themselves the other day against Wolves? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was at Wolves, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Molyneux, yeah. yeah. And, and they just, they can, you know, throw together some fantastic away performances um, and then just do that at home. And, you know, they'll probably go on to beat Liverpool, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to end this. So I don't want to jinx it, Joel. Um, but yeah, it was just. It's very odd. It's a very, very odd Burnley thing to do. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really know if it's uh, behind closed but that's doors. It. I mean, we, we, we said before about the, the Man City record, the 23 uh, away wins in a row. Like, does it count when there's no fans? Obviously, the, it does count, but does it, is it, does it mean the same thing? You know what I mean? The thing is, I think that's... You could see that the, away, the home record as well for Man City is good. Like, you can see that's what they do. Mm. Like, just losing games on the bounce isn't obviously a Burnley thing if they can pull it off. I guess with the fans, I don't know, are they notorious for dragging their teams to victories? At <laughs> I bet it's, it's a very uh, vitriolic place, Turf Moor, when there's fans there, really? actually, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I I thought there we'll was, yeah, there was some quotes from Harry Maguire today where he was saying that um, United season would have been better if, if they'd had fans there. They wouldn't have drawn so many games nil-nil. But it's like, well, everyone's played without fans, Harry. You I can't just say, say your season would be better and everyone <laughs> else's would be the same, can you? It, yeah. <laughs> your season didn't take place in a vacuum, did it? It's all, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all everyone's relative. Indeed. Uh, one of the weekend's more entertaining games took place at Selhurst Park, where Crystal Palace came from behind to beat Aston Villa 3-2 on Sunday. Uh, Christian Benteke scored a nice header in this game, meaning he's now level with Tim Cahill on 31 headed goals in the Premier League. Uh, Joel, do you understand the mirth that gets directed at him, or, or, or is it a bit harsh? I mean, he's got five goals in his last nine games now. Is he, is he decent or is he crap? <laughs> Good, great, great question. <laughs> I, I do think it's a bit harsh. I think, I think with Benteke, you know, he should be remembered for for his form at Aston Villa, um, where he was one one of the best strikers in the league. I would say, mm. you know, really threatening. And he gets that big move to Liverpool, and I think the sort of the, the mockery of him, should we say, or the criticism of him, sort of comes from from that time because he, he he was a suited to Liverpool. You know, he was signed by a manager for some reason. You know, that sort of didn't want to use him in the way that he was used at Villa, and, and wants to play a different way, but thought he could fit into that, and he just didn't suit it. And it didn't work out, and then he gets his move to Palace. But he, he could tell for years he was still affected by. He had a lack of confidence from his time at Anfield, and it, it wasn't quite happened. And, and it's happy to you know, good to see that he's now looks like he's sort of getting his, his confidence back and has formed back because he has been threatening this season. He has looked a bit more like his old self, and his goals, you know, goals tally from the recent games starting to show for that. And and I think if it, you know. 
he deserves, he deserves credit for that. He's pulled himself back and he's had these big transfer fees falling around. But no, I, I think it, I, I would say he's more on the decent side than the crap side. Let's, yeah. uh, let's not dismiss Benteke outright. Yeah, I think it, if you were going to sort of put a, a sort of looping, uh, hanging ball into the cross like that, then you probably don't want anyone else but Benteke on the end of it, do you? That's his speciality, sort of jumping high and nodding it in like he did in this game. But yeah, his, uh, his, his first touch leaves a lot to be desired sometimes, let's just say that. Um, it's been announced today that Roy Hodgson will be stepping down at the end of the season at Palace. Uh, what do you make of this uh, This talk about Frank Lampard potentially taking over, Joel? It's intriguing. Um, it really is intriguing because the fingers with, with Palace as a whole, they've got a lot of work to do this summer. And I wonder whether you know they sort of left 16 contracts run down to, to expire and not a lot of signed deals are getting done. Uh, and I do wonder whether they've done that on purpose because they're looking for a bit of a, a big reshape and a big sort of maybe even rebrand, should we say, this summer. Mm. Um, and I think they alluded to that last last year where they brought in Nathan Ferguson and, and Abiri Eze, um, young players from Championship. And I wonder whether they're sort of signed towards making that their sort of transfer policy this, this year as well. And that's going to be the way they're going, going forward. If they are going, going for that, then I think Lampard is an interesting sort of coach to, to oversee that because, you know, Lamp, you know, Lampard gets criticism for the way it worked out with Chelsea this year, but he did get top four for them last year. And, he, and he's and got that on his CV of sort of uh, changing, overturning a squad in a way that he's going to have to do at Crystal Palace this year, hasn't exactly, he? Exactly. Yeah. The thing that you forget about Chelsea last year, they had the transfer embargo mm. and he has to deal with a lot of youth players and, and bringing them in. I did so. I mean, Mason Mount, if you interviewed him, he'd probably credit Lampard for a lot of what he's done for his career. Um, and, you know, he brings players like in like Tamora, he's doing a really good job at Milan. And I do wonder whether, you know, see Parish, you know, the Palace chairman is looking at Lampard and thinking this could be someone who could re- work really well with, with young players and, and develop them. And that's the way forward the Palace wants to go, then, then great. And, I, and I, you know, I don't think people should maybe, or, I mean, automatically I thought, oh, Lampard, that's, you know, that's funny. But maybe if you look for, in depth with it, Lampard could be a really good coach for developing young players. And that could be the way he sort of wants to go forward with his career. I'm interested to see how this plays out if it does end up going through and ends up being a thing then Palace could be an exciting team to watch next year mm, Indeed uh, It was a great day for Palace's Tyrick Mitchell who uh, chipped in with an assist and a winning goal in this game but this game to me Matt felt like a, a microcosm of Villa's season you know they started well they played well in patches but they let it slip at the end would you Would you go along with that? Yeah unfortunately it's been rather inconsistent at times for Villa I think that it's summed up with players I think we spoke about it before like Ross Barkley Mm. You, know, uh, you know, it was like the second coming of Ross Barkley at the beginning <laughs> of the season. And now it's just sort of... Yeah, it's gone full there. circle, I think he's back to... Yeah, yeah, he's gone full circle. And I think, obviously, having Grealish out for quite a while doesn't help. Um, doesn't really help with filler. But yeah, they, they might have just sort of run out of steam at the end when everyone was thinking they were going to, you know, maybe even chance for Champions League places as well as Europa League places. They might have just run out of a bit of steam, but... Considering they survived by the skin of their teeth last season, this has been a massive, massive improvement. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, Southampton got their first back-to-back win since December when they beat relegated Fulham 3-1 on Saturday. That's where we'll finish today. Uh, Nathan Teller came off the bench for Saints in the second half and scored within 98 seconds of coming on. Ralph Hasenhutl said he's the biggest talent at the club. Have you, have you seen much of him, Joel? Is he one to keep an eye on, perhaps? Yeah, unlike Daniel Jefferson, I've seen a bit of Nathan Teller. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? He's 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 definitely got raw potential. I think the fingers would tell her he's he's someone who gets caught you know 
offside quite a bit or us in, in games that I've seen because um, he hasn't quite picked up how to bend his runs a bit too much or on a consistent basis just yet. But he's someone who's got a lot of pace and has got his eyes smooth in the right place. I do wonder whether, um, you know, he's sort of come through playing as a winger but he, um, in the youth ranks of Southampton, but then, and, and sort of sometimes as a right wing back as well. But he's someone who's got, it looks to me, he could well be a forward and he, t- he takes that goal really well. He's in the right position and it's a, a really good low ball into the box as well. And I think with Southampton, I mean, if there hasn't to say that, you look at their academy um, and the players they brought in the past and the players they continuously bring in as well. If I hasn't to say that, then the Saint fans have got a lot of things to be excited about. Mm. And um, I definitely think he's one to keep an eye on for sure. He's probably got the biggest smile I think I've ever seen. Oh, his smile was bigger than his face, yeah. yeah. It's like, go on, Nathan. Get in there, son. Yeah. Uh, last question today. Uh, 18-year-old Fabio Carvalho scored on his Fulham debut, which was their first goal from open play since the beginning of April. Uh, if Scott Parker stays and, and, and Fulham keep most of their best players, do you think they, they might be a force to be reckoned with in the Championship next season, Matt? Uh, yeah, I do. And I think... It's kind of a little bit unfortunate this is happening is that the Premier League teams coming down have so much money um, and have such a high quality of player that they're able to attract. So they're often just bouncing back up. Mm. And we've seen it with Watford and Norwich. Um, you know, Bournemouth are in the playoffs at the moment and so are Swansea. So I think, yeah, they will, they will be a threat just you know, purely because they are so much better than so many other championship teams. And unfortunately, we're going to kind of enter a series much like with West Brom as well, where the return of the yo-yo team um, <laughs> is going to be a lot more frequent than, we, than we've seen beforehand. But, um, but yeah, I definitely think that Parker's well worth sticking with and you know, giving him the chance to, to return because it can only benefit him and Fulham. Yeah, there's a bit of friction behind the scenes there by all accounts, isn't there? I think he, he did an interview that sort of, sort of upset the club's owners where he said that they've not been in touch with him since uh, they got relegated. So I think it mm. is key, key, keeping hold of him is going to be key for them if if, they, yeah. if he leaves and they have to get another manager. They might be in a bit of trouble, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, well, that is all we've got time for on the penultimate episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast of the season. We'll be back next week uh, for our season review. In the meantime, Angelina Kelly will be talking all things Champions League final on the Women's Football Show later this week. If you would like to get in touch with any of our shows the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time Bye.